I haven't gotten over my life being for sale at Walmart. <laughs> and then they made a movie out of it. Just kind of bizarre to have a movie made about your life. And uh, strange, really, but um, watching people say your words and be you is really kind of off the hook. But um, it seems to matter in ways I never thought. Well, gee, it's great to be back here at Victory Church. Uh, it's been about 10 years, I think, since I was here. You don't look any older, really, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> hey, if you're a guest here today, we're particularly glad you came. Thank you for being here today. Glad you're in our presence. And if you do live in the area and you don't have a church family, let me recommend this one. Everybody needs one, don't they? Amen. Yeah, they do. Everybody needs a church family. I don't think we could have survived what we went through without a church family. There's just no way. So it's so important. And the truth is they need you too. So come back when I'm not here. You, you, you do this every week about this time, right? See? So come back next week uh, and I won't be here. But you need to be here. Uh, you certainly need to be in church. So thanks for letting me be here. So honored to be here, Pastor uh, Cheryl. Uh, good to see all of you again. I am delighted and honored to be back again. Lots happened since I was here last. Um, I've actually written several books since that time. I think we have some photos of them. Um, 90 Minutes in Heaven is the original book that I wrote uh, almost 15 years ago now. I wrote it so I wouldn't have to talk about it. It's not gone very well, actually. Uh, probably since I was here last, I've probably been um, probably to 2,000 places, maybe 2,500 places uh, in all 50 states and many places around the world. So uh, I tried to put something behind me and God put it in front of me. Have you noticed how this happens sometimes? You try to get over something and that's the very thing that God uses to bless other people, regardless of whether it's something we want to relive over and over again or not, it matters. So that's the testimony. Uh, the second book at the top is Daily Devotionals. That book is self-explanatory. We're coming up on a new year. If you don't do a regular devotional, let me encourage you to buy one, get one uh, at the bookstore, order one. This one has 90 stories in it. So it's three months, and some of my favorite stories are in that book. Data Devotionals. Heaven is Real is a book we don't have today. Heaven is Real is a book about overcoming tragedy, pain, suffering, getting through something to the other side. We had to figure out how to do that, so that what the, that's what that book is about. The one on the bottom is Getting to Heaven, Departing Instructions for Your Life Now. Jesus not only provided us a way to heaven, he told us how to live on the way there. And that's what that book is about. Uh, we don't have that book with us today, but either one of those is available at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any of those usual platforms. And then the other book is my wife's book, A Walk Through the Dark. 90 Minutes in Heaven, the movie, is based as much on her story as it is mine. She is the hero of the story. I'm a survivor. She overcame. So if you're a caregiver or somebody who's trying to get through something, that's the book for you. We, have, we do have some of those with us today. And I must say we have kind of a limited amount of all of them. So let's not start a stampede if we can help it. Um, but I, I will sign books after the service is over with. If you brought one with you, I told to someone who walked, uh, when I walked in the door, they were waiting this morning at 9 o'clock. And I said, I'll sign anything but blank checks. So um, a lot of times people want me to sign the Bible. They want me to sign their Bible. And I have to make very clear that that is a book I did not write. I'm happy to sign it for you, but I didn't write it as long as you understand. Now, this is the new book um, called People I Met at the Gates of Heaven, 
who's going to be there because of you? And it's the sequel to 90 Minutes. I'm slow, but I'm certain. Um, I, I, people wanted to know about the people who met me at the gates of heaven. We'll talk a little bit about them this morning. And that's what this new book is about. It was just released week before last. I think this is only the third church that this book has been available in. And uh, we do have a few of these books. I did pre-sign some books in case you wanted to just grab one and go without having to stand in line. Uh, there are some of those out there on the Welcome Center sitting up there on the top. And uh, we'll look forward to meeting you out there. also made a movie. You saw the, the, the um, trailer for that movie, uh, 90 Minutes in Heaven. I'm played in the movie by um, Hayden Christensen, the young man who played uh, Anakin Skywalker in all the Star Wars movies. My kids have started calling me Darth Preacher now. <laughs> I can breathe heavy, I guess. My wife is played by the lovely uh, Kate Bosworth, a beautiful uh, lady, and uh, in more ways than just her uh, physical beauty, she's a great lady. My daughter has stage four kidney cancer, and uh, Kate Bosworth drove all night uh, to take my daughter to dinner when she found out about it. So they've become very close family friends of ours, her and the Michael Polish, who is the director of the movie 90 Minutes in Heaven. And uh, this is Frank, uh, Fred Thompson's final movie, Senator Fred Thompson. He's fantastic in this movie. Dwight Yoakam is in the movie. Uh, Michael W. Smith, one of the greatest Christian songwriters of the past 30 years, is in the movie and also wrote the music for the movie with his son. And uh, so we're, we're very happy with the way it turned out, but it's still pretty strange. We do not watch the movie. Uh, we obviously saw it. I was on the set when they were making it, but... Uh, it's really actually too difficult for us to watch. It's very, uh, it's very accurate as to what uh, really happened. You saw the trailer. Well, a lady walked up to me with this book not that long ago in a book signing line. And it was all messed up. The book was all torn up and it was like pretty tattered and dirty. And I almost commented on the condition of the book. She wanted it signed, so I opened it up to where I usually sign. I'm signing the book for her, and then she says this, this is not my book. I said, oh, okay, it belongs to someone else. She said, yes, uh, it belonged to my daughter. I did not know she owned the book. Really, I didn't. It was in her backpack when she got off the school bus and was run over and killed. I said, this is her, her book? She said, yeah. I said, was your daughter a follower of Jesus? Oh, yeah, she said. My daughter was very devoted to the Lord. I said, well, I'm sorry for your temporary separation from her. It's real, but it won't last. She said, I couldn't bring myself to read your book. It was just too raw, too, too painful. She said, finally, I, got, I just picked it up and started flipping through it. I realized my daughter had written all kinds of things in your book. She had circled scripture passages. She drew arrows to things. She underlined things. It was obviously, it was obvious that this book made a great impact on her. And when I read it, it was like her speaking to me about things I needed to know. When I got through reading your book, Mr. Piper, I realized I wasn't ready to go to heaven myself. So I gave my heart to Jesus. I know where I'm going now. Do you? Are you sure? We're taking reservations this morning. That's why I'm here. 
Truth is, we love you here, but we want to love you there. So we, we pray that you don't walk out of one of these doors without being ready to go to heaven. Jesus is the way. I found out that's the truth. I believed it. I preached it, but I found out it was the truth. On my way to church, I got run over and killed by an 18-wheeler. I was at a conference center called Trinity Pines, and uh, we have a picture of the front of that conference center. The sun's out. looks very nice. Actually, the day I uh, left the conference center was a Wednesday morning to go back to my church south of Houston. It was not a nice day. It was raining, and uh, by our standards in that part of the country, it was cold, about 35 degrees. I realize that's like lawn chair weather here sometimes, but <laughs> there it was miserable. It was a bad day, but, you know, I'm on my way to church, so I'm not really caring too much about the weather. So I pulled out onto the highway from this conference center gates. Conference started on Monday, finished on Wednesday. I'm on my way home. I turned to the right instead of the left. I mean, I'd already gone home that way. It was about 120 miles back to my church south of Houston, a small town called Alvin. But that day I decided to go the right. I'd never been that way before. And uh, when you go that way, you have to cross a lake, a big lake man-made lake. They dammed up the Trinity River and made a lake up there, recreational lake. Well, what I did not know when you went that way is that you had to cross the original bridge. This bridge was built over the Trinity River in the 30s. I mean, this bridge is dedicated to men and women who served in all wars. It was built to honor veterans who served in World War I. Of course, they didn't call it World War I because we didn't know we were going to have a two. It was just called the Great War. So I'm driving across this lake on a long elevated highway and I come to this bridge. And this bridge has been there for a long time. You can see it's a narrow bridge. Not really big enough for uh, two large vehicles to pass. Well, I'm on the bridge and I'm on my way home. At the end of the bridge, the highway goes up. It's a steep embankment. So it's over that old riverbed, which is now in the middle of a lake. Well, I'm on my bridge. I'm on my way home. I got a stack of sermons on the seat beside me because next Sunday morning, I'm going to begin a new sermon series on what we believe. The sermon on top is called, I Believe in a Great God. The next one's called, I Believe in Jesus, the Son of God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in baptism. I believe in the Lord's Supper. I mean, that's where I was going with all these sermons. We had a bunch of new believers in our church. So I felt it was time to talk about our beliefs. I never did preach any of those sermons in my church. Never got a chance, really. I do have one copy of one of the sermons left, and that's only because a state policeman picked up the pieces off the bridge and put them together. I have them at home. They're in my office. They're covered in my dried blood. And it's the sermon, I believe, in a great God. I have preached that sermon since. So I'm on my way to church. I'm going to do a Bible study. It's Wednesday night. I've got that with me, too. I'm almost off the bridge, coming in the opposite direction, down a steep embankment is an 18-wheeler. It is a prison truck. There's lots of prisons in the Huntsville area of Texas. And um, this one was driven by an inmate. Uh, The regular driver didn't show up that day, so they asked for volunteers. Raymond got in the truck. Raymond hadn't driven any vehicle of any kind in 20 years. He's behind the wheel of an 18-wheeler. He's coming down that hill at a fast rate of I mean, he's, he's way over the speed limit. I'm almost off the bridge. He swerves over into my lane and hits me head on. 
a horrific collision. He drove actually over the top of my car, shoved it up against the railing, went off the back, hit two more cars, and finally brought the rig to a halt near this end of the bridge. It's the long ridge. So it's a horrific collision, four vehicles in this awful wreck on the Trinity River Bridge. Middle of nowhere, it took a long time for ambulances and police to arrive. They did. They started working the accident, and they discovered miraculously that the driver of the truck was not hurt, and neither were the other two drivers of the other two cars. Miracle, really. They were treated and released, which meant that four paramedics, very unusual that four paramedics would work on the same victim, but nobody else was hurt, so they're all working on me because it's obviously, it's obvious I am badly hurt. In fact, I'm, I'm killed instantly in the wreck, which I think brings up an interesting question. What am I doing in Camargo? <laughs> You're laughing, but I want to ask you the same question. What are you doing here that matters? We'll come back to that, I promise. So the body is covered up after their efforts, heroic efforts, to revive me, and they're waiting for a coroner. Anytime you have a fatality, you have to have an investigation. Who killed this man? So everything's at a standstill on the bridge. They can't move anything until somebody arrives to release the body. So traffic starts backing up in both directions, obviously. It's the only way across that lake, at least it was then. And so back behind me are lots of other pastors. These preachers are trying to get back to their churches to do Wednesday night services, but they're not going anywhere either. Some of them actually abandoned their cars and started walking up to the accident site to find out what was going on. One of those pastors was a guy named Dick Onorecker. Dick Onorecker lived north of Houston. I lived south of Houston. So we're actually on the highway on our way to do the same thing, lead a Bible study on Wednesday night. We don't know each other, even though we've come to the same conference. Dick and his wife, Anita, walk up to the bridge. They see all this carnage. And Dick says to the policeman in charge, Officer, my name is Dick Onorecker. I'm a pastor in Houston. I, I would like to pray for the victims. And uh, the p- policeman said, well, that's very nice, but there's no one to pray for. Everyone else is okay. The man in the red car is dead. He did not make it. And when the policeman said that, God spoke to the preacher, which we decided is a good thing. I mean, don't you want a preacher that God speaks to? I got news for you. God's speaking to all of us a lot more than we're listening. He was speaking that day on the bridge, and this guy's listening, and here's what God said. Pray for the man in the red car. That didn't make any sense to him at all. I mean, he certainly never wildly considered praying for a dead man. That wasn't part of his theology, but obedience was. So without asking, he just did what God told him to do, which is always the right thing, Amen. you know, even if you don't understand it. In fact, if you only did what you understood, you probably wouldn't do very much. I get kind of chagrined with people who talk about the Bible not being relevant. You know, it's an old book and doesn't really matter anymore. I mean, I, I, I got news for you. God's doing a new thing. I mean, really. In fact, it says that in Revelation 21. Uh, there's a whole new thing. So Dick Honorecker is listening and obedient. He gets permission to get in the car. They didn't want him to get near the car. They were afraid he would get hurt with all this twisted metal, broken glass. He crawls into the back of the car. This next picture is actually from the newspaper the next day. Uh, and you, it's not very good. I mean, it, uh, they, wouldn't really, they weren't planning on using something like this. But 
You can see the wreckage of the car. I'm actually in the car. The body is covered up with a tarp. And all the windows are gone, of course, and it's just demolished, as you will see in a moment. And here are all these people waiting around for the coroner. I don't know they're working on me. I mean, the moment the car struck me, a truck struck me, I'm standing at the gates of heaven, absent with the body, present with the Lord. That's what the Bible says happens if you're ready. And I wasn't planning to die that day, but I was ready. So, the, the, the earth suit that I occupy, my, my body was lying in the car, but I'm absent from the body. Dick on a record's come up there. I think the guy standing over there against the back of the ambulance with the, the big hair, I think that's Dick on a record. I mean, he, he did look like that. So he's trying to get permission to get in the car. He does get in the car, and he starts praying for me. He crawls under the tarp. He discovers the only thing I didn't break was this arm. My right arm is the only thing I did not break in the accident. So he, from behind, he puts his hand on my right shoulder, and he begins to pray for me in the wreckage of the car. He's not the only one praying by this time, because they did search me, try to find my identity. When they did, they called my home in Friendswood. Nobody was at home in Friendswood. My wife was teaching school. She was supposed to be with me on this trip, but as a teacher, she's taught now for 36 years, um, she had six new students transfer in. So she knew if she wasn't with them on that school week, they'd have a substitute teacher to start in a brand new school. So she decided on Sunday night not to come with me on this, this trip. She really wanted to because we needed some time away. She would have been with me in that car, but she wasn't. Well, she wasn't at home either. She was teaching school. They didn't know that. So since they couldn't reach anybody at home, they found my business card in my wallet, South Park Church, Alvin. Called the church, told the church I'd been in a horrible accident, but not that I was a fatality because no family has been notified yet. You have to notify next of kin. So all the church knows, my church, is that I've been in a terrible wreck. So what they did was get out the Houston phone book, remember phone books? And it was like, it's big. Eight, six million people live in greater Houston. So they started calling every church they could see in the phone book and asking them to pray for their pastor who was in a terrible wreck on the way to church. This starts spreading worldwide, and I'm not exaggerating. Tens of thousands of people were praying for me in a matter of minutes as the phone banks went out all the way across the country and in foreign countries. I don't know they're praying. If I'd have known they were praying, I would have told them to stop. Because if you've been in heaven, you don't want to be here. Even Camargo. <laughs> so they're all praying. And God is listening. I told you he's speaking, but he's also listening. And so he's listening to the prayers and petitions of these people. Some of them desperate, fervent, passionate prayers. Including the guy praying over my dead body in the car from behind. This next picture should be the actual car at the wrecking yard after they took it there. You can see the trajectory of the truck over the front. You can see how he had to crawl in the hatchback from the back of the car in order to even reach me under the tarp in the dark. So, I have brain damage as a result of my head being crushed against the side of the car. My wife still thinks I have brain damage. <laughs> this works out pretty good sometimes. I did have brain damage. I had blood coming out of my ears and eyes and nose. And, but it was dried because my heart had stopped beating like immediately. I was killed instantly. I would have bled out. I had massive open wounds. When the truck ran over me, um, the weight of the, um, the truck 
crush the dashboard on my legs. This next picture is a side view of the car, and so both of my legs were crushed. My right leg at the knee, so that my leg no longer like went this direction, it went the opposite direction. Right above my left knee, it was severed because I slid in the seat a little bit, and right above the knee, the leg was severed and just imploded. Six and a half inches of femur, the largest bone in the human body, was ejected from that car and never found. I was impaled on the steering wheel, as you can see. This is before airbags. So it just went into my chest, and I had serious internal injuries. I put the arm up when the truck was coming for me. At the moment, the truck ran over me. It took my arm into the back seat, and from here forward was lying on the back seat of the car. So I had been dismembered, actually. It was a horrific thing to see, I'm sure, with Dick Honorecker praying over my dead body. This goes on for an hour and a half. Accident happened at 11.45 on the bridge. It is now 1.15 in the afternoon. The medical examiner has not shown up yet. There were other accidents in the county that morning. Bad weather. So, here's Dick praying under the tarp. He has now begun to sing hymns. You know, hymns are really just prayers put to music. We just sang some. He's singing a great old hymn called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. This is a great tune. Holding on to my right shoulder under the tarp in the dark, and suddenly without any warning, as he sings that song over my dead body, holding on to my only unbroken thing, my right arm, I start singing the song with him. And he got out of the car really fast. <laughs> Wouldn't you? You might not have done this. He went over to that policeman that he had just pleaded with to let him get in the car, and Dick Honorecker said, Officer, the dead man is singing. And nobody believed that because it's unbelievable. I do remember singing with him in the dark, even though I didn't know who he was. It was dark, of course, because we were both covered up with a tarp. Nobody, they didn't want anybody to see me. It was hideous. Truly. So he finally convinces them to check on me, and they do, and they found out I'm slightly alive. Not very, but they uh, knew they had to get me out of the car. So you could see how they had to saw the roof off of the car and then try to get under me as much as they can, eight guys, to try to lift me out of the car onto uh, a gurney. Removing a living person's very different from removing someone who's not from a wreckage of a car. So now I'm on my way to a hospital, actually several hospitals. The nearest one they, they took me to, and they didn't even take me out of the ambulance. It was just, they came out and looked at me and said, there's nothing we can do for him. Uh, this next picture is probably some of those hospitals, if I'm not mistaken. And um, so I went to a, a clinic in Trinity, and then I went to a hospital, regional hospital in Huntsville. There they stabilized me and uh, prepared me to airlift me to the nearest level one trauma center, which was in Houston. That was 80 miles away. The weather was too bad for helicopters to take off. So I traveled by ambulance 80 miles from Huntsville Memorial Hospital to Level 1 Trauma Center in Houston Memorial Hermann Hospital. I had an accident at 11.45 on a bridge. I arrived at Hermann Hospital in Houston at 6.15 that night, six and a half hours after the wreck. And from that night forward, I would be in a hospital bed for 13 months, and I would have 34 major operations to put me back together again. So here's a couple of things you can take with you this morning. Number one, I believe God answers prayer. And number two, I believe God is still in the miracle business today. It may not look like much, but I am a miracle. I mean, I got hit head on by an 18-wheeler and killed. 
Now I'm standing in front of you. I was told I would never walk again. And I walked up here on the platform on my own two legs. I was told that if they put this arm back on, it would never be useful. But this is the arm that was in the back seat of the car. So I believe God is still in the miracle business today. And the reason that's important is if you live long enough, you're going to need one. Maybe more than one. God is still in the miracle business. Right before Jesus died, so he understands death, he was with his followers in a place called the Upper Room. If you go to Jerusalem, a lot of people don't know this, but the Upper Room is directly above King David's tomb. So downstairs is King David's tomb. You can go in there. Men and women have to go separately. Men have to cover their head to go in. It's a great Jewish shrine. But right above that is the room believed to be the place where Jesus conducted the Last Supper. Well, they didn't know it was the Last Supper. He knew it. He knew it. But they didn't know. All of you are going to have a Last Supper one of these days. You just won't know when it is. So they're up there having what we now call the Last Supper. Jesus is with them. He's gone into the room with them. They'd failed to wash his feet, which was the least thing they could have done for him. Just the courtesy, something that they always did for a teacher. They failed to do it. So he gets up from the table, and incidentally, it wasn't one of those long tables facing out. You know, I mean, who would they be facing? It wasn't a convention. They were around the table. It was a low table, so their feet would have been out to the side as they were reclining on cushions. That's why they had to wash their feet. In those days, open-toed shoes, it was, people's feet got very dirty. So someone was designated to wash them. They have a washer. Jesus gets up and washes their feet himself, and they're protesting because they can't believe he's doing this. He says, you don't understand now what's happening, but you will understand. So he said that a lot. If you notice in Acts of the Apostles and also the Synoptic Gospels, he's always talking about things they're going to need later. So here he is in the room with them. The week started off great. Now it's not going so great. I mean, he came in triumphantly into Jerusalem. Now they're out plotting against him. The Romans are plotting against him. The Jews are problem. I mean, everybody's trying to get him. Well, his followers know that, so they're pretty nervous. They're not doing very well. In fact, as far as we know, only one of them survived to, 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 to old age. All the rest of them were martyred. So they had reason to be afraid. Into that situation, Jesus comes after they washes their feet because they didn't do it. And I love this. He chooses them anyway. That ought to say something to you if you made a decision to do something for Jesus a long time ago you hadn't done yet. He chooses you anyway. So he looks into their eyes like I'm looking into yours and knows that they're troubled. They're, they're frightened. They're afraid. Things are not going very well. I guarantee you, in a crowd this size, some of you are going through some stuff. I mean, you know who you are. It was all you could do to get up and come here today. You might even be here and you're thinking, if these people knew what I did last night, they wouldn't let me in here. Oh, yeah, they would. This is the right place. So into that, Jesus makes a statement to them, which, oh my goodness, rings across 2,000 years. Here's what he said to them. I'm saying it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? Then believe in me also, he said. In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you will be also. And you know where I'm going. And you know how to get there. Remember, he was preparing them. So he's not, this is not the first time he said this. You know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. Well, they weren't listening. Kind of like being in church sometimes. And we know they weren't listening because Thomas stands up from the dinner table. Who else but Thomas? We are, we are all so Thomas sometimes. Here's what Thomas says. We don't know where you're going. And we don't know how to get there. Well, it wasn't because he hadn't been told. But I love Thomas. Like I said, I'm so Thomas sometimes. Tell me again, how do I get to heaven? If you're here today and you're wondering if heaven is real, oh, it is, I've seen it. But how do I get there? Great question. Here's Jesus' answer. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So if you're depending on something else to get you to heaven, it's not going to work. Jesus is the way to heaven. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you're looking for a better life than the one you've got, Jesus is the life. Yeah. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I found this out on a lonely highway in East Texas. Well, I got to the hospital and it was bad. I mean, they put me on a gurney because there were pieces of me everywhere. I would be there for a long, long time. Right after Jesus said that in John chapter 14, he said this. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. It's the same, same scripture, same chapter of John's gospel. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So what's going on here? Haven't you asked God for some stuff and had got it? Well, sure we all have. I don't know about you, but I've lived long enough that I'm glad God didn't give me some, some of the things I asked for. If I, if I got what I asked for, it would have been a disaster. God knew best. But here's what I believe. You may ask me for anything in my name. There's the qualifying statement. It doesn't just mean you can name it and claim it from God. It means it has to be in His name. That means it coincides with the will of God. If we're praying for anything in His name, He says He will do it. These people were praying that I would live. I was dead. They were praying that I would be able to walk again and function again on some level. And not only did I function on some level, I walked in here. When I'm finished, I'm walking out. So I believe in prayer. My father was a career army. He fought in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. All three. Had a chest full of medals to show for it. He was a great American hero. My father would come to visit me in the hospital. Uh, my mother and father lived 250 miles away from Houston, and so they came to visit me often, as you might imagine. My mother came in to see me one time. She looked at me, and when she saw what they had on me, and what they had done to me, she passed out directly onto the floor, and she never came in to see me again. She would stand at the door and talk around it. My dad had seen everything, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Crusty old drill sergeant. He was a piece of work. I mean, I'm the oldest boy, and we only had boys in my family, so we were his platoon. I, I polished enough boots and brass to, to fill an army. He was one tough dude. I mean, really tough. So, I'm about to show you something that you may not even want to look at. It's, it's pretty graphic. This is what they did to me in the hospital to try to save my life, this next picture. If you'll go to that now. 
So I was missing, missing four and a half inches of femur, um, and I was in traction on my left leg and my right leg and my left arm. I could not be elevated. I developed double pneumonia. Well, this is deadly. Many people die, you know, of pneumonia when they have ter terrible injuries because they're flat on the back and they can't breathe. Their lungs fill up. Mine were filled up, and so I can't breathe. And now they're going to cut off what's left of my leg and my arm and my right leg so they can elevate me and give me breathing treatments. It was the only hope. Except that three weeks before my accident, a new device was patented from the Soviet Union called an Ilizarov after the doctors had invented it. It involved breaking my leg in another place putting stainless steel halos around the leg and turning screws on those halos four times a day to try to stretch the bone that was left to close the gap where the bone was missing. It's a very ingenious device. Just imagine having 36 open wounds in your leg for a year. Really a nightmare, frankly. Well, in my arm, they could actually replace the bones in my arm, transplants. The, the bones in my left arm came from my right hip. They took bones out of the pelvis, they put them in the arm. All the skin on this right arm came from my, or this left arm came from my right leg. They took skin off this leg and put it on this arm. As I've said here before, medical people have a wonderful knack for finding things you didn't even hurt and hurt those for you to fix the other stuff. <laughs> so this is the way I lay in the hospital. It's hideous, really. It, the, the picture doesn't do it justice. My dad is sitting down here at the end of the bed and he's talking about football, he's talking about cars. We were having the usual guy conversations we always had, and then he stopped. My father got up from the end of the bed, he walked around to the other side of the bed, and he took my hand. You can barely see it up there in the corner, the only thing I did not break in the accident. My father, this old drill sergeant, his arthritic hand, takes my hand and this leans down to my ear and says this to me. Son, I would give anything to trade places with you. It's my dad. I guarantee you he meant what he said. I'm a father and a grandfather, I understand. I told you my daughter has cancer. I'd give anything to trade places with her. I would. I got better, and he got worse. All those wars caught up with him. Congestive heart failure, emphysema. I mean, they just all piled up on him. And so in, in a few years, I find myself driving 250 miles the other way to see him. And he's in a hospital. Instead of weighing 190 pounds, he weighed 100 pounds. He was in a fetal position. And I would go to see him whenever I could. And I would hold his hand. And I would look down at him, my father, and say to him, I love you, Dad. I meant what I said. I would go outside. My mother would follow me outside. My mother and father were married for 61 years. She never left his side. My mother would look up at me. She'd take my hands and she'd look up at me. And this is what my mother would say to me. Son, the doctors do everything they can to try to make your dad feel better. But nothing makes him feel better than when one of his children comes to talk to him. When's the last time you talked to God, the Father? I mean, really talked to Him. I'm not talking about a laundry list of stuff you need. I mean, having communion with God. He wants to hear from His children. Whether you believe it or not, you were created to have fellowship with God. He wants to hear from us. Let me ask you a question, a very direct question. What would happen in this part of Illinois 
if you decided to pray for people who are not ready to go to heaven with the kind of passion Dick Honorecker did over my dead body in the car. I'll tell you what would happen. You don't have enough chairs. You'd have to have more services. A revival would break out here. Why not here? Why not now? I guarantee you, if you would like to see that happen in Illinois, it's going to start with prayer. My grandmother, Nellie Clemens, was from here. Um, She married uh, my grandfather, who I never met, my dad's dad, uh, from Piperville. Did you know there was a Piperville, Illinois? Look it up. There's one. And uh, right before the Depression, they moved to Arkansas because there was a job down there. So I I have some roots here. And and I want to see a revival here. It's going to start with prayer. I I know I am a prayer. I mean, I I wouldn't exist if people hadn't prayed and God said yes. He also says this in the same uh, set set of scriptures, John chapter 14, about miracles. He says that, I said anyone on that one, so we can know if you could show that next uh, slide. There you go. I tell you the truth. Remember, he just said he is the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Well, he's just about to check out. He's going to be arrested and executed shortly, and he's trying to prepare them. And he says this, anyone, remember the other one said anything? You can ask for anything. He says anyone, I think that includes every single person in this room. Anyone... If you have faith, who has faith in me will do what I've been doing and he will do even greater things than these. Now, the guys in the room had seen him change water into wine. They had seen him give sight to the blind. They had seen him make the lame walk. They had seen him at the tomb of Lazarus say, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came waltzing out of the tomb and now he's saying to them, there's a lot better things going to happen after I leave here than happened while I was here. That's a startling statement. And yet, I see it every day. Another lady came up with a copy of this book at a book signing table in a church. And this is what she's doing. She's got it like this. She leans down uncomfortably close to my face. And this is what she said. You sent me this book in jail. I said, yes, ma'am, we send a lot of books to people who are incarcerated. It's the only way they can get books. You can't take a book to jail. But we can send them there. You asked for one, we sent it. Yes, that's exactly what happened. She said, I was in jail for my sixth DUI. I'm an alcoholic. I didn't have any community service. I didn't have any probation. I I mean, they put me in jail. I'm in my 60s. I have never been in jail. I thought I was going to die in there. Finally, I talked to this other inmate, and I said, ma'am, how do you get through this? I mean, jail, how do you get through this? And she said, well, I read this book about this guy who was never going to be the same again after he got run over by a truck. He had to find a new normal. And that's what you need to do. How do I get this book? I'd get online if I could and order it. I think they'll send it to you. She did. We did. She read the book. Now she's standing in front of me in a line at a church. And she says, I've come to ask you to pray for me this day. I said, yes, ma'am, I'd be glad to. She said, three weeks from the day in this church where we're standing right now, I'm going to start leading a group for Celebrate Recovery for Alcoholics and Addicts. I said, who better than you? I think that's a miracle. 
I think God's still in the miracle business today. I think you're going to need one one of these days. I got good news for you. You've come to the right place. God's still in the miracle business. I did have trouble getting through this. I won't mind telling you. I really struggled with it. I, I just, I, I'd seen heaven and had it taken away from me. I came back to a horrific situation, and it was, it was pretty awful. Let's look at this next slide, if you would, please. That's me. Day after day, week after week, month after month. I was wearing things that nobody had ever worn before. There wasn't anybody else to talk about. So I found myself in that hospital bed doing this. Three o'clock in the morning. Why can't you send somebody here who understands what I'm going through? If I could just talk to somebody who gets it, no matter what the outcome is, I think I can make it. Do you ever feel that way? Nobody understands what I'm going through. And actually, nobody did understand what I was going through. I was wearing something no one had ever worn before and going through massive infections with 36 open wounds. Sometimes I'd be in in an isolation room for three weeks at a time. You know, people couldn't come in unless they were dressed head to toe like space people. It was just, it was just horrible. So why can't you send somebody here who understands? I'm listening to some music. God speaks through the music and here's what he says. This is not about you, son. It's about me. And what I can do through you now, I can never do before the truck hits you. Get over your pity party, son. And realize that you need to turn your test into a testimony. You need to turn your mess into a message. You need to take the pain and find a purpose for it. And when you do that, you'll know why you went through this. What he said was, stop shaking your fist at me and reach out to other people. You can be the one who helps them overcome tragedy and suffering and pain. man walked up to me not that long ago and he said, I lost my wife. We've been married for 35 years. Was she a believer? Uh Uh-huh. I'm sorry for your temporary separation from her, sir. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know why God took her and left me. She was such a wonderful person. Now I'm all alone. I don't know what to do. I said, I'll tell you what to do. He said, you will? I said, yeah. Do you know anybody else who's lost her spouse? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's several people in our church. I said, why don't you put your arm around them and say, I understand how you feel. You'll, make, you'll be amazed what a difference that'll make. They get to talk to somebody who gets it. Everybody else is nice. Everybody else says, I'm praying for you, and they are. But I want to talk to somebody who understands. You can do that. Lost your loved one? Well, you could shake your fist at God and say, why did you take my loved one? It won't bother him. God would rather you be angry at him than ignore him. But take this and do this. Let me help you. I've been where you are. Together we can get through this. I had to get my truck to figure that out. I hope you don't. Well, this next photo, or the one that's in the bed, the long one, if you could find that picture. This, This is really my condition for a long time. You can see where they took the skin off my right leg to put it on my left arm. You can see where my right leg was broken at the knee. This is my condition for months. Every day I lay in the bed and said, God, why did you sent me back for this? You see, the moment the truck struck me, I was standing at the gates of heaven. I didn't go down a long tunnel. There wasn't a bright light at the end of the tunnel. I didn't have a near-death experience. When you're dead an hour and a half, you're not nearly dead. I was there, just like that. 
and I'm surrounded by people I had known and loved in life. I am actually looking at a gate. If you read Revelation 21, you'll find out there's 12 gates to heaven. 12 gates to heaven. Three on each side of the great city of God. So that means no matter where you are, you have entrance to the city of God if you're prepared. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. You're not going to get there because you're good. You're not going to get there because you're a, Ma a Methodist or a Catholic or a Baptist. I mean, those are great things, but that's not going to get you into heaven. An authentic, personal relationship with Jesus Christ will get you into heaven. So I'm looking at this massive gate. looks like the inside of an oyster. It is dazzling. It is brilliant. And it's because the light reflecting off the gate. If you read Revelation 21, you'll find out there is no sun or moon in heaven. Completely unnecessary. Did you see the moon last night? It's huge. No moon in heaven. No sun in heaven. God illuminates heaven with his glory and majesty. And Jesus actually receives an additional name in Revelation 21. He is now also referred to as the lamp of God. Not lamb, lamp of God. So you'll bask in the glow of Jesus Christ in heaven. It's reflecting off the gate. I pan down, I'm looking to all these faces. Faces of people I haven't seen in some cases 20 years because they had all died. When I saw their faces, I knew where I was. I was in heaven. Oh, what a great reunion heaven is. My grandfather's the first person I saw. I told you about my dad. My grandfather, my mother's dad, was a carpenter by trade. Uh, when I was 13, 14 years old, I found out my grandfather was illiterate. He could not read or write. I'd been signing things for him for years, and I thought he just wanted me to. He couldn't. I thought it was brilliant because he took lumber and nails and built places like this. I could take you to the place. He, he died in 1981. I could take you to places today that he built when he was alive. So I followed him around like a puppy when I was a little boy. I mean, he had all these tools dangling from his overalls. I just thought he was a genius. I still do. I wanted to be like him, and I still do. But one night, he died. I rode with him in the ambulance when I got the phone call, Papa's dying. I was at the emergency room when the doctor came out and said, I'm sorry, I did everything I could, but I lost him. I got a lot of broken bones, but nothing hurts like a broken heart. Amen. When Papa died, it broke my heart. I loved him. Last time I saw him, he was in a casket at the church at his funeral. He did not look good. Now I'm standing at the gates of heaven. He's directly in front of me. He extends his hands to me and spoke a language I've never heard before but fully understood and said, Welcome home, Donnie. That's what he called me here on earth. I looked down at the hands that used to hold me when I was a little boy. He was missing three fingers on one hand and two on the other. And now his hands were complete. I'd never seen his fingers before. He was perfect. So shall we all be in heaven. Just the way God wanted us to be when he made us in the first place. Before life had taken our joy, our, our, our vigor, our health, our hair. I was looking at Austin doing the announcements at the beginning. I thought, I've never had that much hair in my entire life. A pastor interrupted a service just like this, and I was talking about how perfect it will be in heaven. He said, I want to know about hair. And I said, well, pastor, as far as I know, everybody in heaven had hair. And he said, praise God. 
I don't know what your priorities are this morning, but I'm going to have hair. I had a lady after a service like this. She comes up to me and she says, I, I, I need to ask you this. Is there any chance in heaven at all? You said we're going to be perfect. Yes, ma'am. That I could be a size two? And, and uh, she was not a size two. I said, ma'am, I don't know about sizes, but you'll be the way God wanted you to be. She laughed out loud and said, I'm going anyway. <laughs> Let's go back where we started. Are you? going? Anyway? My great-grandmother was standing beside Papa. That's what I called him. Everybody else called him Joe Sox. I have a new book coming out about him, Joe Sox. Startling revelations in that book. My great-grandmother Hattie was standing beside him. She was a victim of osteoporosis. She walked like this. She couldn't stand up straight. She wasn't missing her fingers like Papa. She was missing her teeth. She had no teeth. She had some teeth uh, that she referred to as store-bought. They were dentures. She did not like them. She did not wear them very often. (laughs) The only time I really saw my great-grandmother wear her teeth for sure was to church on Sunday mornings like this. She would put in her teeth. As soon as she got home, she would take them out, put them in a glass of water beside the sink in the kitchen. You know what I'm talking about. When we were little boys and we didn't have anything to do, Sometimes we'd go in the kitchen and stare at Grandma's teeth, which were always smiling back at us. My great-grandmother Hattie met me at the gates of heaven. She knew I was coming. She was standing upright. She was a good six inches taller there than she was here. And she smiled at me. It was the first time in my life I had ever seen my grandmother's real smile. She was perfect. You know, everybody that met me at the gates of heaven was expecting me. You're not going to sneak up on heaven. Everybody knows who's coming. Here's what happens the moment you give your heart to Jesus. They celebrate in heaven. They write your name down in a registration book. I stayed in the hotel last night. The first thing that happened when I walked in the door and approached the desk was, do you have a reservation? I did. You want a reservation in heaven. None of the people I met at the gates of heaven were planning to die the day they died. Whether my grandmother was 80 or my friend from high school, Mike Wood, was 18 when the truck ran over him and killed him. Oh my goodness, we were 18. We went to Mike's funeral, hundreds of us, and there he was in a casket. He was a beautiful kid, very talented, four-star letterman in football. He played for the state championship in basketball. He was all everything, and he was dead. He met me at the gates of heaven. He was expecting me. Everybody up there is expecting you if you're ready. So you've got to have a reservation. Yeah. I did. I just wasn't planning to die at 38. 38. So, I'm looking above the heads of all these people who met me, and that's, that's the people in the new book. Uh, a lot of them I talk about there in detail. And here's the deal. They helped me get there. The people I met at the gates of heaven were people who took me to church when nobody would, you know, before I could drive. They gave me a Bible because I didn't have one. They showed me how to pray. They lived a Christian life in front of me so I knew what one was. These were the people who influenced me for Jesus. They met me at the gates of heaven. They helped me get there. And so I came back with this question. If we greet people at the gates of heaven that help us get there, and we will, who are you going to greet? 
Who's going to be there because of you? I ask you, what are you doing in Camargo? What we should be doing in Camargo or Newman or wherever you live is helping other people get to heaven. We've got a lot of work to do. At school, at, at where we work, down the road from where we are, our friends, our family members. I know you love these people here. Don't you want to see them in heaven? Bring them to church. Tell them about Jesus. Give them a Bible. Live a faithful Christian life in front of them so they know what one is. These are the people who greeted me at the gates of heaven. I knew where I was. While I passed by them, I'm going through colors I've never seen before. I'm smelling aromas that I've never smelled before. You know what one of the aromas of heaven, one of the smells of heaven? The prayers of the saints wafting up from the throne of God. Can you imagine what that smells like? The prayers of the saints. So heaven's a buffet for the senses of touch and smell and sight. I pass through angels. They're everywhere. You like angels, you're going to love heaven because they're all over the place. Some of them have six wings, some have two, some have none. And I'm greeted by the angels. One of them held my hand in the car. I didn't know it until later. I thought it was Dick on a record, but he never got that far down. He couldn't hold my hand. So angels are all over the place. Hey, I can not only hear their voices, I can hear their wings. What a comforting sound that was. So I'm processing the angels and I'm going through music. Once again, if you like music, you're going to have a spectacular time in heaven because they got great music up there. All of it glorifying God. For He alone is worthy of our worship. So you get to hear all these massive songs, all these beautiful choruses, all these enormous praises lifted up to the throne of God. They're all for Him, but we get to hear them. Only one song of the thousands that I heard at the same time kind of separated itself. They were all symbiotic. They all fit together. Holy, holy, holy was the song I heard. Because He is holy. And this is His place. And we're not. So that's what keeps people out of heaven. Not because God wants to send people to hell. It's because we're not holy. And we know we're not. We all know we've done things we shouldn't have done. And we also failed to do some things we should have done. So we've fail. We've fallen short. That's what sin is. So how do you get to a holy place if you're not holy? Here's how you get there. Jesus. I was sitting on the third row of a service like this, and the pastor at the end of the service said, who wants to go to heaven? We're taking reservations today. I had been going to Bible study with Mike Wood, the guy that died. I, I, I got a Bible from my next door neighbor. She used to take me to church when nobody would. I mean, I came to the point where I knew I was lost. I, I didn't know Jesus. I knew of Jesus, but I didn't have a personal relationship. So when the pastor said that, who wants to go to heaven? We're taking reservations. Well, I left my seat. I went down, I took the pastor's hand, and I said, I want to go to heaven. 16 years old. You know what he said? This is the best decision you'll ever make, son. He was right. Three weeks later, two weeks later, I was baptized. That was a glorious experience for me, too. And oh, I've had a roller coaster since then. I got run over by a truck and a few other things happened. But you know what? I wasn't planning to die at 38 on the highway, lonely highway in East Texas that day. I was ready because of my decision at 16. I, I was presented as holy in the sight of God because Jesus paid for my sins. He died in my place because I was worthy of death. And I'm going to live there forever. One of these days, you maybe live long enough to read in the paper, maybe you'll be in the paper, that that guy who wrote that book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, sold 8 million copies. He died. 
Don't believe a word of it. I'll be more alive while you're reading that than you are now. Well, I wanted to go in. I could see through the gate. It's a very small entrance. We go in one at a time. It's a personal decision. And I could see a golden boulevard bisecting the city. Really, made out of gold. It's true. And it was brilliant. It was dazzling. On both sides of it, magnificent structures. I would call them mansions. The Bible says we all get one. I'm not sure I'm going to spend much time in my, my, my mansion because I think I'd rather walk down the street of gold and talk to Mary or Peter. Amen. And you will. And they'll want to talk to you too. I could see this thrones high and lifted up in the center of the city. And immediately I was attracted because the brightest light of all was coming from there. I wanted to pass the people. I wanted to pass the tree of life, which is standing over there to the side. We'll get to eat of it in heaven. We eat in, hell, in heaven for, for fellowship, not sustenance. Church is way ahead of the curve on this. Did you see all these donuts out there today? I mean, we, we eat for fellowship all the time. But that, you'll like that because in heaven, that's what we eat for. But we don't eat to stay alive. Isn't that great? So I want to go up and fall at the feet of the great God of all creation, and just say this. Thank you for letting me come. Thank you. I never got a chance. I did pass the people who greeted me. I did go into the entrance of the, of the great city of God, this gate, one of the twelve, and I'm emerging inside. Glorious music, incredible aroma, beautiful colors. It's just the most real thing that's ever happened to me. This doesn't seem real to me anymore. And it all stopped. As I was emerging inside, it all stopped. I found myself in silence and darkness. And you know I wanted to cry out and say, What's going on? I just got here. And then I heard a voice. One voice, this time not thousands of voices like you hear in heaven. This voice is not in front of me, it's behind me. It's that preacher in that car singing that song and I'm back here to this and every day of my life only being able to face up I would ask the same question you would have asked why why did you let me see heaven and send me back to this I have an answer so I could be in Camargo this morning and tell you to your face, heaven is real. And Jesus is the way. But it won't matter if you're not going. So, are you? We're taking reservations today. We love you here. And we want to love you there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a church that does stuff like this. That's the church where I want to be. Thank you for Victory Church. All who serve here, I pray a blessing on them. Right now, in the stillness of this moment, I'm praying for every man and woman, boy and girl who's in the room. I'm praying that we'll come to the realization that heaven is a real place and that you can go there through Christ. None of us are worthy of heaven, but... Because Jesus made us worthy. He died in our place. He died for our sins by accepting what he did. He conquered death and so can we. And we can be with him in heaven. 
So I'm praying for every soul here that in this moment they'll just bow their heads and close their eyes and realize, men, ladies, young people, are you ready? If you're not, in the stillness of the moment, just say in your heart of hearts, I understand now. I understand why Jesus did what he did. He died in my place. Oh, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I want to live for you from now on. I want to follow you. I'm not just sorry for the things I've done. I want to change, and I'm changing now. Come, guide me. Show me the way to live for the remainder of my days. And then take me home to be with you forever and ever and ever. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says if you say that in your own words and pray it, the angels are singing your name right now in heaven. It's being written down in the registration book. They're expecting you. You're not going to sneak up on heaven. They know you're coming now. And they're so happy about it. If you've done that, you need to tell somebody. That's not a secret. That's the most joyous thing that can happen to a person. So would you do that? In fact, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, If you've come to Christ today, you know for sure now that you're going to heaven. Could you just lift up your hand and say, I've made a reservation today. Wonderful. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Now you need to tell somebody. We'll be here after the service. Tell somebody. New names written down in glory. How wonderful. Lord, you know I may not see these people again. On earth. So my prayer today is that if I don't meet them here, one day I will see all of them there at the gates of heaven. Oh God, help us be found faithful until that day. We offer this prayer in the name of the one who's building us a better place, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Pastor's coming now. As I said, if I don't get to see you here, I want to see you there. Wow, doesn't that give you a bigger vision of heaven? Bigger vision of a God that is still a miracle worker, that loves us beyond what we can imagine. Um, I'd like to ask the ushers to come as we take up a love offering for for Don. It's amazing. He told me before service, um, he comes to places like this on a love offering basis. And he said, I don't make my living doing what I do because that would be too hard. He does it because of what God has done for him. And even coming back from heaven, he made the choice that he's going to spend his days trying to get heaven, help heaven become more crowded, take people with him. That ought to be our dream. That ought to be our vision. That ought to be our goal. Ready? So I want to um, put a love offering together for him. And he also said, yeah, he, he doesn't take it. He gives it away to other causes. So... I just thank God for a heart that this man has to be through, to have gone through so much and yet still giving so much. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask your blessings upon Don. We thank you for his amazing story. We thank you for how it's touched our hearts today. I thank you, Lord, for his testimony. And I pray, Lord God, that after today, each one of us would have a greater testimony for your glory everywhere we go. Lord God, as we give these offerings uh, to him, Lord God, we thank you. For all that he is doing in the name of Jesus, I pray.
Amen. Could you all stand to your feet as we close today? Father God, I thank You for every person here that heard this testimony today. I pray, Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that each one of us has made our reservation with You. And I pray, Lord God, our eternity is settled with You. That one day we'll see what Don saw for a moment. But we'll see it forever. So Father God, I thank You for where You're going, what You're doing in each one of our lives. And help us to do more for You today and forever in Christ's name. Amen. Don has a book uh, uh, table set up out front. Uh, Visit with him. uh, Have him sign a book. Whatever. But God bless. Have a great week.